Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. I opened today's show talking about the huge response to the My Son Hunter trailer, which premiered last Thursday night, and it's already been viewed by several million people, or at least several million views, and that's really great news. And then I give my opinion on Mark Zuckerberg admitting the FBI pressured Facebook to censor the Hunter Biden laptop story, and Facebook apparently went along with it. This came and went from the news cycle in a flash because why? Well, the people who control the algorithms and control the media are fine with us. Then I give you the latest on the Trump Mar-a-Lago raid saga, and I give you my take on what what it all means. And we broke a huge exclusive story over the weekend on how literally ill individuals crossing our border are being accepted by the U.S. government. And uh, it is a stunning yet entirely expected at the same time. We have an extended woke update today and much more in the opening before we speak to two guests. We had J.D. Vance on, who is the Republican nominee for Senate in Ohio. We discussed big tech monopolies and how to fight them, how Tim Ryan became the biggest flip-flopper of the current campaign season, and uh, much more with him. And then Senator Marsha Blackburn joins us to talk about her recent trips to Taiwan and what America is doing to fight Chinese dominance, both here and abroad. Let's get into it. I guess the first thing that I will bring up before we get into some of the biggest news, but it is important, is that I will be traveling a fair bit this week, and it is um, not not common that I've been doing a lot of traveling these days. It just is feels like there's much more I get done when I'm not traveling. I used to travel a, a lot for the show when I was away from the show, uh, but I'll be doing some promotion for um, uh, My Son Hunter movie, which is something that is so important to us at Breitbart News, and it's gone mega viral online on Thursday night. We released a clip, or I guess the 30-second trailer. Again, those of you who are unaware of what's going on, uh, Robert Davi, friend of the show, Hollywood actor who's also a director as well, and someone who's been on with me and has been a writer for us at Breitbart for a very long time, directed a movie with lots of stars uh, like Gina Carano and uh, Lawrence Fox, who is a, 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 a hardcore anti-establishment activist in the UK, but also a, a actor and uh, with a lot of credits to his name and others. And they have a big movie out, in, in my opinion, that we are going to be distributing at Breitbart. It's our first time doing such a thing. And the 32nd full theatrical trailer was released on True Social uh, in a panel that was hosted by Devin Nunes. And I did this with Don Jr. and Robert Davi and Peter Schweitzer. Uh, the whole panel is online. Um, I think it's at Rumble is the best way to get it. And it is also brightboard.com and then you can find the the Rumble. Um, And what we're going to try to do is if you want to listen to it, um, then we will uh, we uh, I think we're going to put it out as a special podcast as well. So um, that you'll get that for if you want some additional content this week. But it is a pretty cool trailer. And obviously, it's just the tip of 
uh, uh, the tip of the iceberg, as they say, 30 seconds of a movie significantly longer. That's full feature length Hollywood production. And uh, you'll really enjoy this panel if you check it out. I think some of you did, but it's uh, one of my favorite lines in it, uh, which is you know, very convenient that he said this, but I also think it's really important, is Donald Trump Jr. said that uh, of, on the panel, this film is an incredible example of conservatives looking for alternative venues to spend their hard-earned money. And the reason why I bring this up is because it does feel like the left has done an amazing job creating a way to get you to spend your money, which leads to more creativity and more projects that they put out. And it creates an ecosystem, a space where smart, creative people are inclined to take risks and to try things and to fail even, which is really the key to life, isn't it? The willingness to fail. If you have no willingness to fail, then what type of experiences are going to have? What type of relationships um, are you going to have? And what are you going to do with your life? And the left has created this uh, environment where there's constantly money being funneled in their direction. They constantly have the opportunity to grow and thrive because there is an entire economy. Um, and this is what I'm hoping this will be a part of. And it's starting to exist to a certain degree, particularly with documentaries and uh, absolutely with books. And you guys know on the show, uh, there are uh, the plenty of Rive Center filmmakers um, that are out there. Uh, these days, you know, Amanda Milius comes to mind who's on the show uh, quite often. Um, and there's some others that I think we've got one slated to come on soon. Also, Dinesh D'Souza, of course. So, so there are many people who are trying to do this, but not enough. And we need to keep growing it. And particularly, there's not enough with fictional uh, movies as well. And even some of the quote unquote right wing um, productions that you're seeing are, aren't really right wing. They're kind of just neutral and the people who make money are right wing, which is fine. I mean, that's, that's fine to do that. Uh, but this is content that is, I think everyone will like it, but it is a movie for right of center audiences in particular. I think lots of center audiences will get a lot out of it. I think they'll enjoy it because it is truly hilarious. It's a, you will laugh constantly, even if you don't love the movie. And I think you will. But I don't see how you could not watch this and not laugh uproariously the whole time, as I did. Um, so anyway, I would check out this panel online at Brightport News, but mysonhunter.com if you want to support us. And, and this is one where I don't understand why you wouldn't. I, I know that's kind of an interesting pitch, but this seems like you guys know that this is a big initiative. And I think if you're listening to the audience, if you're in the audience and you're listening, um, if you've taken the time to subscribe to our podcast and you're you've you download on a regular basis. If you are listening to this show at, you know, six ten in the morning, maybe three ten in the morning, West Coast, and uh, you're you're driving your car, your truck. I, I don't know why you wouldn't be on board with this one because uh, hopefully it's the start of something really cool in terms of us creating fictional content, narrative content, and it, it's slick. It looks great, and you're gonna like it. So mysonhunter.com for that. Uh, Rudy Giuliani predicted that this will be censored as much as possible by media Democrats, Biden and Pelosi. If it gets censored, I, it's probably good for us. I, I don't, I, I probably is because again, we're distributing it. That's the beauty of this. Like we don't need to get permission for from Netflix or from NBC for this thing to go big. It can go big just by you guys. Though there's certainly plenty of evidence that appears that there's going to be a level of suppression 
um, of the, the the letting certain elements of it to go viral. I, it's got a lot of traction on Twitter, which I was surprised by, which is great because the guess the Twitter algorithm um, hasn't stopped it yet. Which you know, the Twitter algorithm does do that sort of thing. I'd say, you know, particularly with regards to Hunter Biden, it's come up a time or two over the last couple of years. Um, but I, I'll get into some of that. But there is a tech is getting ready for 2022. I've got some headlines I'll get to in a moment. But think about how there's a poll that came out over the week, or it was actually last week, Wednesday. Technometrica Institute of Policy and Politics. I don't know what that is. But they said that 79% say that Donald Trump would have won in 2020 if Hunter's laptop was known to voters. Well, this will be a way to get voters to know about Hunter's laptop for 2022 and 2024 purposes. And you can do it while you laugh the whole time and get entertained. So um, certainly a angle to show someone in your life who might not be inclined to follow the news, but might be inclined to, you know, follow something that's narrative and entertaining. Um, Peter Schweitzer said that my son Hunter is information lifted from the pages of my book and turned into flesh. That is uh, something that I think is pretty brilliant. What Davi did, my favorite part of the movie, my favorite element of it is that though it is funny and it is slick and they're good looking people in it and it's a Hollywood production in every sense of the word, but there is this element of truth to it. It is a fictional to a degree, but for the most part, the stuff in it is is true. The key beats, you'll recognize dozens of direct quotes from the Hunter Biden laptop or from Joe Biden himself. And it really does uh, make you laugh a lot. Uh, during the panel, Davi said that he told the story about a backpack with drugs and another laptop that is, is being rumored that has to do with Hunter that someone told him about. Now, I have absolutely no idea if this is true or not, but it's just noteworthy that we could not be at the end of the Hunter Biden crazy stuff uh, the, uh, revelations. They could continue. So can you imagine that? What if there is a, an extra laptop and a bunch more drugs? It's every time there's another release on this guy. Remember when he went into the sensory deprivation tank and he had brought, it looked like a hard seltzer and he was smoking something and he'd brought some technology in there so he could film himself? So I, I, I don't believe that uh, this is over by any stretch of the imagination. It was funny on a Bill Maher show, Rob Reiner was playing dumb about the media burying Hunter's laptop. It's the Rob Ryder is a bright guy and he consumes a lot of news. Of course, he knows the media did that. But this has been excused. I mean, we had the Sam Harris story a while back. He's supposed to be, you know, one of the smartest guys around saying what a great thing it was that the uh, Hunter Biden laptop got censored so we don't get the bad orange man. And that might, back, that, that might backfire, that approach. It might backfire long term. All right, uh, going back a little bit, but really important to note from last week, Mark Zuckerberg of, of Facebook went on uh, Joe Rogan's show and whined about his life, um, saying that you know every day is torture or something. Boo-hoo, such a sob story. Um, but he said the biggest revelation was that Facebook was asked by the FBI to dump the Hunter Biden laptop stories because they were Russian propaganda. And Facebook does not deny denying them. And the FBI does not deny what Zuckerberg says. 
So you would think this is one of the biggest stories of all time. Um, but he said that the FBI warned Facebook that this is going to be the, they're going to get a dump of Russian propaganda shortly before the election uh, in the form of the Hunter Biden laptop from hell, or at least, you know, right around there. And that it would be, well, I'll read you the exact quote. The FBI, I think, basically came to us. Some folks on our team was like, hey, um, just so you know, like you should be on high alert. Wow, he sounds brilliant. There was the, we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in 2016. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. So basically the Russians rigged the election via Facebook by buying 130 grand worth of ads on uh, on Facebook to win the 2016 election. That's the implication. And then this was going to happen again. And so the laptop from hell comes out. It's dead true. Not Russian propaganda in the slightest. And as far as we know, Facebook censored it and the FBI won't deny it. We've got a clip of Zuckerberg describing this on a live show. I'll play it during Dan Gaynor's segment. No need to burn all the time right now. Takes to get through it. But pretty stunning stuff. And the FBI won't, won't deny it. Uh, if you guys don't think that Google and Facebook have all thought through what happened in 2016 and have vowed to never let it happen again, you are living in an absolute dream world. So it is, uh, and, and, and they are working with the deep state, the FBI may be chief among them, to make sure that this happens. Especially after they got away with what they got away with in 2020. They proved they could do it by censoring the biggest act of censorship maybe in modern American history, just in terms of raw quantity. I'm not saying that there weren't things that weren't erased entirely, but it never has a story that's been so significant. Uh, have there been so many people in a literal conspiracy to censor true information to benefit one political individual, really, but a political worldview or political party? It's never happened. There, there's nothing comparable. And if you have a comparison, please call me at 866-95-PATRIOT and tell me when more effort was done to censor a true story that would hurt one political family in order to win an election. This is the thing why I get so irritated that literally even basically every major conservative news organization, um, you know, got went down this Dominion voting machine rabbit hole after the election and they all got their pantsuit off of them. And we didn't at Breitbart because it didn't pass a smell test to me because I said, why are we doing this thing that there's, you know, Chinese uh, bot servers that are in Germany that are flipping votes? When we know what's happening in plain sight, we know that big tech censored stories that would hurt the Biden family. And now we know from Mark Zuckerberg, the feds asked them to do it. Hello, is that not election interference? Is that not election meddling? You need to have a voting machine that's literally flipping algorithms or using their algorithm to flip votes. They're telling you what they did. They're telling you how they rigged it. So it's a, that's why it was so exasperating to me that we are taking the super obvious stuff that's happening right in front of our face is blatantly corrupt. It's truly awful. And instead, what we're doing is we're we're going to try to find some sort of James Bond spy thriller, um, uh, the in, international thing that would take some sort of a brilliant paperback novelist to plot 
that, that wasn't real. That wasn't real. What was real was the big tech uh, move, moving their algorithms around, censoring stuff manually by hand with individuals. Um, there's something I'm going to be getting into. I don't want to spend too much time on it right this second because I want to hit a variety of topics for you. But uh, Google is, is overhauling their algorithm as their biggest change in 10 years. And I spent a lot of time over the weekend getting caught up on what they're doing. Uh, but they've laid the groundwork to have a lot more manual curation of their algorithm to try to control what news you read. And they've got a couple of tricks uh, and ostensibly they'll be trying to ban misinformation or trying to slow down the spread of misinformation. And they're going to try to uh, slow down the spread of clickbait. So to prioritize certain types of sites. But if you don't think that they're going to go, they're going to somehow figure out a way to get conservative media to get the right parts of the world in there in terms of the sites that are allegedly putting out misinformation and allegedly uh, not having high quality uh, pages when it comes to information that affects your lives, then you're living in dream world. They do this every time. Every time it starts with, well, we're going to crack down on this thing that we all agree is bad. Which if you're looking for news and you're getting misinformation, that's not good. If you're getting bad medical information, that's not good. But recall that a lot of the medical establishment got the coronavirus completely wrong. And normal uh, uh, people who were reading uh, news reports from the establishment media were getting bad information. So, but that doesn't matter because it's always the establishment protecting themselves. The status quo is good because that's how they make billions and billions of dollars. So uh, we'll talk more about that down the road. Uh, but I did notice that checking out the after this quote from Zuckerberg came out, we were tracking what were the most popular Facebook stories on Facebook over the weekend. And the number one most popular Facebook story about Facebook over the weekend was not that Mark Zuckerberg admitted the FBI basically interfered in the 2020 election and Zuckerberg let them do it. It was that Zuckerberg has really developed his relationship quite a bit with his wife, Priscilla Chan, because they're working together on something. I didn't even click on the story, but this was, we looked at the analytics, like that was allegedly the most popular thing on Facebook about that interview. He goes in Joe Rogan's podcast, biggest podcast in the world, rarely does interviews, certainly not interviews of this length. Basically admits to working with the FBI to rig the 2020 election. Sorry, that's what he was basically doing. And by control of information, media manipulation, censoring true stories on behalf of Joe Biden and Hunter, of course, who's the beneficiary of this. And the number one story was that him and uh, Priscilla Chan are really doing, having a great marriage these days. Um, you think there may be, maybe someone's controlling that? Maybe there's a possibility that that is something that is manually manipulated? Where they have uh, turned down the tide on stories about Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg to make sure that uh, people don't, things that perhaps could change people's opinion about the FBI or about his own platform don't uh, hit the highest levels of virality that they could. I believe that's the case. Now, can I prove it in a court of law? I don't know. But it doesn't make a lot of sense that people care more about how Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan are doing uh, in, their, in their domestic life than what the state of this country is and how the combination of the deep state and big tech are now openly colluding to rig the vote. This is why you have to go to mysonhunter.com, share, share that with 10,000 people 
It's not just that I'm hoping that this is a new business model for Breitbart that will hopefully lead to a bunch of new content that you guys will love. Uh, of course, I want that. that that's obvious. But there, this is important too. It's an important subject matter because we can get information. And this is what the left has always been so good at. Information that every American needs. And we can hopefully get it into a few people's minds who are not going to take the time to listen to a show like this or to read a website like Breitbart, etc. All right. Um, speaking of the FBI, they also released an affidavit. I guess this was on it was Thursday or Friday. Again, I'm going back a little bit, but it's important I give you guys my take on it. Uh, my take on this won't surprise you. Uh, we learn we learn nothing uh, from it, other than that there were a lot of redactions, um, and the redaction narrative is very easy to uh, see as a Rorschach test, um, an ink blot test. Um, if you're on the right, of course, they covered it up because they want to make it look like the because because there's they don't have anything and it gives them some cover if they just redact a bunch of stuff because there's we've not gotten any major revelations from the Trump raid, why the FBI raided former president for the first time ever in the, nation, in the nation's history. So um, from our vantage point. You know, we're saying, well, it means they got nothing. The left is saying, oh, well, they redacted it because the information is so highly confidential, so unbelievable, so horrific that you can't release it to a the, the news going public because, because perhaps our enemies could get it and our enemies could you know use that information in the affidavit to, uh, I don't know, start nuclear war, whatever, whatever their fantasy is. So that's it. So we essentially make no progress. Affidavit comes out. Everyone on the right says, see, told you so. And everyone on the left says, see, told you so. And we're exactly where we were. Uh, we do know national security was not cited by the DOJ among reasons for the redactions, which is interesting because remember we were told they could be nuclear secrets in there. Um. Joe Pollack has written that the affidavit, he's a Harvard-trained lawyer, of course, host Breitbart News Sunday for us, and uh, is our, one of our senior editors. He wrote that uh, he, it reveals a weak case. Uh, you can read his take on why it's a weak case. Um, but basically, there might have been secrets in them, and the DOJ disagreed with Trump's lawyers that uh, Trump was entitled to have these boxes. And that's it. That's the case. And this, according to the establishment media, is the moment of all the moments from when Trump came down that, uh, that escalator in 2015 and they were trying to get the bad orange man, that this will be the one that the orange man will be fitted for his orange jumpsuit. The uh, Rikers Island um, uh, tailor is at work right now getting an orange jumpsuit to match the orange man himself as we're having this conversation. And this was the very viral topical conversation over the weekend was, is this the one where they finally got Trump? Well, what are they saying they, they are getting him for? Uh, all this has to do with the National Archives and Records Administration, where, which is supposed to coordinate with Trump's White House. And there are some procedures that are allegedly supposed to be followed to sort through and archive presidential records and Trump's team was supposed to do this and didn't do a good job about it. So they didn't properly classify some records or some were, impartial, were only impartially marked or something. And so Trump, who when he was president could declassify anything, 
anything he wanted, he could declassify it. And it's sort of murky what the procedure is, at least from my vantage point, how to declassify things. As far as I know, you can just announce something is declassified. I declare this is declassified. And then it is. I mean, maybe there's some level of paperwork, but it's not a lot. And then things are declassified. So they're arguing that Trump is going to get the orange jumpsuit. They're going to throw the cuffs on him. They're going to put the former president in jail because apparently he didn't go through whatever pro forma procedure was to declassify whichever documents he took with him to Mar-a-Lago. And that's it. So now we got the documents that he didn't declare, he didn't do the right paperwork, he, didn't, uh, he wasn't in compliance with the National Archives and Records Administration, and thus he should go to jail. That's it, that's what they got, that's what they got, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to put Donald Trump, a guy who many of you in this audience voted for twice, and there are tens of millions of people like you, that he should go to jail for that, what I just stated. That's what they're trying to do. And should we be laughing about it? If it was so early in the morning on a Monday, then I think I probably would be laughing more about this. This is it. This is what he's going to get the orange jumpsuit for. The failure to label the papers in the boxes properly. Lock him up. Lindsey Graham predicts riots if Trump is prosecuted over these classified documents. I don't know if I agree. He apparently said this on uh, Trey Gowdy's program on Fox. Um, I don't know if I agree, um, but I do know that it's going to be consideration, and I ho- certainly hope it doesn't happen. But it is, uh, I think, I think pretty, pretty unlikely that it would happen. But I do think that you're really pushing people now. If this is it, if they if they really try to make this a criminal thing to keep Trump from running for president over this. I think a lot of it is just a distraction. There's a lot of way to control, to kind of titrate the narrative because there is so much bad news out there. And they're trying to get this spin going. The White House is actually doing a great job now, getting its agenda passed via the Inflation Reduction Act, which was a lie, sold the, uh, a lie to the American people. It doesn't reduce inflation. We broke bombshell emails over the weekend at Breitbart News that uh, Biden's Department of Homeland Security is still knowingly releasing COVID-positive border crossers into the U.S., they couldn't figure out coronavirus. He said he was going to shut down the virus. So he said he was going to unify the country. He can't p- pass a single bit of legislation with a single Republican vote. And he says he's going to have the economy roaring back, even though we're still in Biden inflation and we have the textbook definition of a recession, multiple quarters of negative growth. Um, and now we've got the, the coronavirus, which has not gone away is we've got COVID-positive patients still getting absorbed in the country. They get to our borders, which, as we've noted on the show time and again, and we'll note it uh, uh, often again still, one of the whole points of having a border is to control diseases, is to keep out which diseases come in and out of the country. So there you have it. Strike three, in my opinion, for Big Joey the Biden. But let's see if the public uh, agrees because there are so many examples of, um, there are so many examples of Democrats trying to spin this thing. Uh, Biden's White House Twitter account now is firing off mean tweets. And now this is a good thing, according to the Washington Post. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene was on Newsmax, Congresswoman. 
And she said it's not okay for the government to completely forgive debt. It's completely unfair with regards to the student loan forgiveness. That's going to be estimated at about um, hundreds of billions of dollars. Let's put it that way. I think 500 billion um, is going to be the actual number in the end, according to John Carney. And uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene apparently had a company that got uh, a bunch of loans forgiven during the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program. So the White House pointed this out, which is a great tweet. It's it's great. It's a so so she's got the quote that it's a look. Look, it's a, she says it's not okay. It's unfair to forgive debt. And then the White House tweets: Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene had one hundred eighty three thousand five hundred four in PPP loans forgiven. Uh, it's great. It's a great dunk. It's a windmill dunk. It's a trampoline dunk. It is. But that said. I thought he was supposed to unify the country. So now like dunking on Twitter is what the White House is doing. And the Washington Post is now excited about it. They think mean tweets are great. Now I'm old enough to remember where there was a bad orange man who was using his Twitter to be mean to his political opponents. And this was hated. This was dividing the country. It was making the country a horrible place. So just note that the double standards continue. Um, the Washington Post also had an opinion piece over the weekend claiming trans athletes will help girls learn to lose gracefully. So it's actually a good thing now that girls are losing to boys. Um, and you know, we, of course, brilliantly, to my editor's credit at Breitbart, use a photo of Leah Thomas towering over, who's a, who's a man, towering over ladies that he beat in a swimming class or a swimming competition. So, a, a amazing piece by someone named Alyssa Rosenberg. The anti-trans witch hunt could hurt your kids too. It's an anti-trans witch hunt. That's what people like me are engaged in. Is that really what we're doing? It's actually, it's not even that we're anti the trans people. We're anti um, teachers, for example, grooming children to think that they all are the wrong gender and sex. And should constantly change their pronouns and have uh, pronouns that are for multiple people like they. Anyway, could be a good thing. So just know that it's a how many of you feel like spitting when you hear a story like that? Probably a lot of you, because probably a lot of you uh, are, are living through this. I know, as I've said time and again, the, the people at Breitbart who have kids in middle school and high school, uh, there's nothing remotely funny about this stuff. I make some light of it on the show. Um, but I'll tell you that I get to observe it from arm's length. A lot of people are living this reality every day where they come in, they, their kids come home and some of their friends have changed their pronouns again and then changed them back. Children's Hospital, Children's National Hospital denies providing gender affirming surgery for minors despite audio indicating otherwise. Gender affirming is chemical castration and, uh, and eventually putting kids on the path to uh, mutilating their, their genitals. But it's referred to as genital, gender affirming surgeries, which means you mutilate their genitals so that they have uh, some fake version of what genitals would be like if they were the sex that they are not. Purely anti-science, wokeism. And the hospital admitted in audio which has gone viral on social media, that it performs gender-affirming hysterectomies on at least one 16-year-old. And when pressed, the, the a hospital worker said that she had done procedures on children even younger than 15. So this is Washington, D.C., major hospital. 
and there's a lot of cover-up and, and denial that took place after Boston's Children's Hospital got busted basically doing the same stuff. So now they're denying that it happens. I hope, I hope they're right. I hope it was just some person popping off on audio. Not a real thing, but sadly now, I think most of you probably think it's more likely that, the, uh, the, the, that this is real than not. There's a North Carolina Pride event that we reported on Breitbart, which saw a child using a stripper pole with a bunch of, bunch of strippers. This, the, the child is pinned to a heavy set stripper and some leather sliding down a stripper pole. Sick stuff, constant, constant. And uh, this is, this is, there's no outrage. This no, stuff rarely goes viral online. Um, it does in conservative circles, but it stays there. It doesn't ju- jump from circle to circle in a lot of cases. And uh, I think a lot of this is that control I was talking about. Um, there's a lot more I want to get to in terms of the economy and um, some other political items, but we'll get to those a little bit later. I will uh, wrap up the opening with a story that I, I thought was one of the most interesting of the weekend on a cultural level. Um, there's a star. There's a. Uh, there's a actress named Sydney Sweeney who is on HBO show Euphoria. She's also on another hit show uh, called The White Lotus on HBO. And uh, she's kind of the Hollywood it girl right now. She, she's everywhere. Euphoria is insanely popular, most popular show, I think, other than Game of Thrones ever on HBO. And all the young people are watching it. Um, and then she's a model, so she's got all these modeling gigs. I brought her up on the show recently because she was whining about her $3 million house or $4 million house in L.A. being too expensive which I got a kick out of, which she was probably right because she's probably underpaid relative to the, how much money she's making HBO and uh, corporate America. Uh, but also it's a, uh, the, the, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people right now who have much bigger problems than caring what, um, you know, actress in her early 20s, uh, the, how expensive her, her home is. Um, but uh, the, she posted photos of a birthday party for her mother, her 60th birthday party. Uh, and they're MAGA hats in the photos. So the photos were apolitical. It was like a rodeo-themed birthday party. There's a mechanical ball. Um, they were in a barn of some sort. And it was Lisa's Hoedown 60th. It looks like a really fun party, actually. And there's people dancing. And it seems like a good time. Aside from there were a couple of MAGA hats. And because there were a couple of MAGA hats, this went mega viral online that you're not allowed to have anyone in your family wear MAGA hats or else you will get trashed and you'll get dragged by left-wing social media. And that's their priority is not to make sure that you know hospitals aren't doing uh, gender-affirming care, i.e. chemical castration and genital mutilation on children. It's not making sure that you know the past president doesn't get his home raided for nothing. It's not that the FBI and social media coordinating to rig elections. That's not the biggest stuff. Biggest stuff online is, hey, here's an actress and people in her family have MAGA hats. That's what we got to deal with right now. That is the a big thing we got to take on the left-wing community today. Not a good look, in my opinion, especially for people who are supposed to be so tolerant. Remember when tolerance was such a big word? Andy Breitbart used to make this point all the time. The least tolerant people on the planet 
are the ones on the left. That's it. No MAGA hats in your family, regardless of your politics, unless you want to get uh, you want to get beat up on social media. A regular guest on the broadcast and the Republican nominee for the Senate in Ohio, J.D. Vance. He spent a lot of time in the big tech world, so his commentary on uh, the revelations that Facebook worked with the FBI or at least uh, did the FBI's bidding to censor the accurate Hunter Biden stories is interesting, to say the least. He also is a Yale-educated lawyer, so I get his opinion on where we're at with the Mar-a-Lago raid, FBI saga, and then we get into China's efforts to buy up farmland in the middle of the country. And his opponent, Tim Ryan, who just seems to be playing both sides just about every issue. All that comes up, plus much more in the interview. Let's hear it. J.D., great to have you back, my friend. Thanks, Alex. Good to be with you. I have a lot to ask you about today. I want to get your thoughts on something. This is off the board, and it's very much a national issue, but it's something I think you've probably given a lot of thought about. Uh, Something uh, uh, unbelievably earth-shaking came out last week, and it came and went from the news cycle momentarily. And uh, I think you're going to have an answer to why this is. Uh, But Mark Zuckerberg admitted that the FBI encouraged him to censor information on behalf of a political candidate, Joe Biden. Uh, Zuckerberg went along with it. We reached out to the FBI. They have not denied that Zuckerberg did this. Uh, We know that Twitter probably did the same thing, that we've not heard from Twitter on this. And this is I think tantamount to election interference, and they're admitting it. This is not some sort of a spy thriller conspiracy theory with uh, voting machines, with manipulated algorithms by the Chinese government. Uh, this is the FBI saying, do not promote this information that could hurt a specific candidate, our preferred candidate, and it happened, and it barely charted on social media, this story, and now we're all going to just move on, act like everything is normal. Yeah, I mean, it should have been like wall-to-wall coverage for a couple of weeks, but of course, Alex, uh, the the media doesn't cover the real stories; they just cover the fake ones. Um, but this it raises, you know, an interesting point. Which, whenever I, I, I argue that big tech is too powerful, and the conservatives have to wake up and realize what moment we're in, actually go after these guys. The counterargument I always get is, well, they're private companies, and of course, we believe in free enterprise and we believe in capitalism. And, and this is a perfect illustration of why that argument is so inadequate, because these guys are not always censoring because, you know, the, the dictates of the market require them to. They're sometimes censoring because the government shows up at their doorstep and says, do this or else. And then they do it in a way that affects the pre- a presidential election. And this has always been, you know, my, my argument for, for what happened in the 2020 election is that you know, a lot of this stuff was right there in front of us for all 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 and this is the big one. This is the one where we know, according to independent studies, some done by pro-Biden groups, um, that, that, that millions of votes were changed because of the lack of coverage of the Hunter Biden story, because it, it implicates the entire Biden family in corruption. It wasn't covered. It wasn't shared on social media in nearly the way that it should have been because our government told Mark Zuckerberg what to do with his digital media company. It is an earth-shattering story, and, and again, it drives home how much the tech piece of this is, is so important. Unless we, 
rein in the technology companies, and once we rein in the amount of power and influence they have over American elections, we're, we're never going to win the long-term battle. Yeah, and uh, Google also did their biggest algorithm update in the last 10 years that rolled out last week, and we still don't have data on what it's going to mean, but it does seem like they're trying to get more uh, subjective evaluations of page value uh, and it is going to be uh, they're going to ostensibly try to cut down on misinformation. But uh, who have been the biggest misinformers in our country over the last five to 10 years, J.D.? We know exactly who they've been. There's been these establishment media, the exact people that the corporate oligarchs in Silicon Valley have uh, promoted. It is the bigger the corporation, the better chance you have to succeed on these major tech platforms from Google to Twitter to Facebook. It's how it is. And uh, this is why I think your populist message and some other candidates who are running this time, uh, why your voices matter so much right now is because it has become less about left and right in many ways. The left is a huge threat. It, of course it is. It's the biggest threat in a lot of ways. Uh, but it really is this corporatism to me that I'm more scared of, that the corporations, if they're colluding with the deep state, then where does that leave the people? Where does that leave the average citizen? Well, it leaves a lot of us without a voice and without any representation, especially if these guys are going to influence the electoral process, too. Uh, take a step back, Alex. Think, think going back 20 years. In 2002, everybody knew uh, that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. In 2007, everyone knew, as Alan Greenspan mm -hmm. said, uh, the chairman of the Fed, that we had no housing crisis, that the financial markets were in steady shape. In 2016, everybody knew that Hillary Clinton would get elected president. And in 2021, everybody knew that COVID had come from a bat soup at a wet market. It had not come from a Wuhan lab leak. Think about all the things uh, that everybody has known in the past 20 years that have been wrong. And if you supercharge the censorship regime, the one thing that corrects everybody being wrong, and not, I would say everybody, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking uh, tongue-in-cheek here because a lot of your listeners, of course, knew that all of those stories were BS. Um, right. But the only way to correct it is that if you give people who are a little unconventional, who are a little, a little willing to challenge the established narratives of voice in their own country. And if these tech companies deny that to people, tech companies, of course, backed up by the government agencies, deny that to people, then we're going to wake up in a country where we don't have free debate and we don't correct the things that are wrong. I mean, it, it, like, like a free debate, it, 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 it doesn't just matter for its own sake. It matters because we correct the things uh, that, that, that people are wrong about. And, it, and in that process of correcting them, you know, we make better public policy and we make better decisions. And that's what these tech companies are denying us. You know, one thing that's interesting, also, J.D., I know you're an investor in Rumble. Uh, we have a movie coming out, our first movie we're distributing, uh, My Son Hunter, about this exact topic. Um, we previewed the trailer on Thursday. We've had, across social media platforms, I think we've had over 3 million views of the trailer thus far. It could be a lot higher because a couple platforms don't give you exact numbers, like Truth Social, uh, where we debuted it. Um, they, they, I don't think they keep track of numbers. But I think we've got more views on Rumble than on YouTube, which is pretty remarkable that that could happen because the whole world's on YouTube and uh, you can't avoid it. In Rumble, which is an alternative design to be a more free speech platform, a platform where the algorithms aren't uh, picking left-wing winners and right-wing losers. Uh, and uh, it seems like there's just a huge market for this. They're just the audiences are, whether it be tech, whether it be cultural content, that people 
uh, in, in who are going to be voting for you. People who are my audience are just dying for this stuff. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, and, and there is a market for it because people are desperate for truth. They're desperate for just freedom, the ability to, to exchange ideas, even even ideas that you, you disagree with. Uh, the, the one challenge that we have, Alex, and, you know, I, I know this because I've, I've spent a lot of time in the tech world, is, is look, you know, go back to Parler. Remember what they did to Parler? They didn't just deny Parler a platform. They tried to shut down the entire infrastructure right. yes. that hosted the website. And so um, while, while, you know, one of the reasons why I was excited about Rumble as an investor, and I, and I feel very good about where the company is today, is because Rumble recognizes that we have to build an alternative internet infrastructure here. That the, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the radical oligarchy that currently controls the tech platforms, like they're not more easily. And so, if you want to challenge them, you can't just build a website or a video sharing platform. You have to build the entire infrastructure top to bottom. There are a lot mm-hmm. of companies working on this, but I think this is where the exciting stuff in the future of the internet is going to happen. Because, like like you said. You, you got to be willing to. You got to have have platforms where we can debate ideas, and if the big tech companies aren't going to allow it, somebody else has to. Um, I want I want to get your take on a couple specific things and catch up on your race you're in. Uh, but I got to get your thoughts because you're a, a Yale Law graduate. Uh, that are you seeing anything in this DOJ affidavit or anything that's been leaked about the president that gives you any pause or concern? Because it just seems like they're stringing this news cycle out without telling us what's going on. Um, and is it really just that he failed to um, uh, go through so some pro forma protocol to declassify some documents and, and that's it? And now we're going to lock up Trump. Is that really what they got? You know, I, I, it, it's hard to say, of course, because everything is so redacted. It's hard to, to glean any information from some of these documents. I mean, you know, my my strong suspicion here is that they don't have a whole lot. Uh, I, I think the fact that they went after the president, of course, they raided his home without telling the American people why is such a major, major problem. And you combine that with, with exactly like you said, they've been leaking this stuff slowly to the Washington Post, to the New York Times. And we've seen the last six years. I mean, since Trump entered the national political conversation, we have seen this constant cycle of investigations, leaks, where 90 percent of what is leaked to the, to the mainstream media ends up being totally fraudulent or at least largely exaggerated. And I suspect that's what's going on here. Uh, Look, this, you cannot, as I said before, you cannot do this. What I mean is you cannot go after the likely leader of the opposition in 2024, because that's what President Trump is. I mean, he's not just a former president. He's likely to be the challenger to the Democrats in 24. You can't go after him without telling the American people why. It's an unbelievably political act. The fact that Merrick Garland signed off on it without feeling the need to explain to the American people why he was doing it is the height of corruption. We shouldn't tolerate it. And it's it's it, look, I mean, we'll see what comes out of it. But I'm skeptical, Alex, that anything major is going to come out of this. Um, OK, so let's turn to your race. You're going up against Tim Ryan, who is basically a lifelong politician from uh, a de- Democrat. And uh, again, a can occasionally channel uh, the a guy who wants to be more of a populist guy, but he's a career politician, and every time he votes, seems like he votes for the worst left-wing globalist policies imaginable. Um, I want to get your thoughts on something that we caught at Breitbart, which is 
the the China is buying up U.S. farmland at a rapid rate. I'm doing some deeper search into this right now, and it's truly horrifying stuff. It seems like only the the worst people in the world are buying all of our farmlands. JD, it's either a big tech globalist like Bill Gates or or, or China, and that's basically it. And uh, Tim Ryan says we need to do everything in our power to stop it, but he said the exact, but he's behaving in the exact opposite way. Uh, it's uh, I'm sure you're on top of this. Could you share this with us? Yeah, look, it's it's Tim Ryan is running the the most incredible campaign, um, an unbelievable campaign that you could possibly run where where on every single issue where he's taken a vote and on every issue where he's been down the line Democrat, he will run a TV commercial saying that he believes the exact opposite. Uh, again, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just it's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. And the entire campaign is built around. He believes that those of us in Ohio are idiots. He doesn't believe that we actually have the wherewithal and the intelligence to look how he's actually voted. And he apparently doesn't believe that our campaign is going to tell the people of Ohio exactly what he's been doing. Uh, and, and, of course, we will. So, so Tim Ryan, if you look at where his money is coming from, if you look at how he's voted, this is a guy whose entire political support comes from people who benefit from globalization. They've benefited from offshoring American supply chains and manufacturing. They've benefited from buying up American farmland, divesting America of, of our most precious resource, which is our which is the land in our country where we grow our food. He's been supportive of this stuff, and his donors have profited from this stuff. And now that I've been raising this issue for a year, all, all of a sudden, Tim Ryan also believes, just like J.D. Vance, that it's bad for Chinese investors to buy American farmland. Well, where were you the last 20 or so years, Tim? Because you haven't raised a finger in defiance of this in 20 years, and yet now you're going to go out there and say that this is an issue you care about? Uh, it's really incredible, but it's not just this. So he came out and said he opposed the, 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 the Biden student loan giveaway, which is, of course, a massive windfall to a very corrupt university bureaucracy. But he's been supporting this stuff both rhetorically and in his voting uh, for, 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 for the last several years. Uh, two years ago, he took a vote in support of student debt cancellation. And I, I just can't believe that this guy votes the way that he does and pretends that he believes the exact opposite in his TV commercials. You've identified something that's been a theme on the broadcast so often. Um, I'm totally fascinated with the Pennsylvania race in particular because you've got uh, two two candidates who let's call them unorthodox. And but one thing that's very interesting is that you know John Fetterman's platform, what he'll tweet, his platform is uh, by and large very good populist platform. But you know when he gets to to Washington, he's going to vote like a left wing Democrat, and he's another person who he puts on the hoodie and then he uh, acts like he's a blue collar guy he's talking about the union way of life but he's got a harvard degree and lived off of his parents into his 40s and uh, this is where i'm concerned jd because the democrats just sold us something called the inflation reduction act that is not that does not reduce inflation and they're treating americans like they're stupid and tim ryan is doing this john fetterman's doing this joe biden's doing this and yet there are a lot of Americans who are not seeing that, that they're, they are being treated like idiots. And we need to uh, reach out and to, to people to show them the Democrats do not respect you. This is not a respectful position to have that uh, Tim Ryan acts like a populist, but then he is also a guy who uh, has voted for, we calculated Breitbart, $6.74 trillion in higher taxes. It, it's the it's not a populist approach. That is a big government, Democrat, liberal approach. Yeah, well, it falls to people like you, Alex, and it falls to campaigns like mine to tell people the truth and to trust them to make the right decisions, and I think they will. Uh, I'm, I'm not worried about this. I, I think that 
you know, one, we're in a phase in the campaign where a lot of people aren't paying attention. We're about to enter the phase where everybody pays attention. And, yeah. and, and when that happens and people start to realize, you know, Tim Ryan, he goes around saying he supports the middle class tax cut. And yes, yet he just voted for a major middle class tax increase um, and has voted for, like you said, over six trillion dollars of tax increases throughout his life. Like this is a guy who just doesn't believe the things that he says he believes. He doesn't vote the way that you would expect based on his TV commercials. And, and I think that people are smart enough to see through that. And I think that because of it, we're going to win a, a, a big election in 22. Now, it, it does raise – there's an important point I, I want to make, Alex, is we can't avoid some of the cultural issues that are voters, but a lot, a lot of people in, in just the middle of the road, uh, they care about as well. Because this is where the Democrats will not – they will not mouth the fake populism because their activist base won't let them. So I think it gives us an opportunity to really highlight the differences. So if you ask Tim Ryan, can a man become pregnant? Of course, 90% of Americans would say, of course not. Of course a man can't become pregnant. Tim Ryan will not give you a straight answer because he can't, because the crazy <laughs> 10% that thinks the opposite won't give money to his campaign if he actually speaks the truth. So we, we, we have to be willing to go after some of the issues where maybe the media will get a little uncomfortable, um, but our voters care about it, people in the middle care about it, and importantly, we have to defend the truth. And if these guys aren't willing to do it, we've got to hang it around their neck. Uh, what's Ryan saying on the border? Because the, the border crisis is in, in some ways worse than ever. And I, I would love yeah. to. I don't know what his take is off the top of my head. Oh, he's bad. Yeah, he's real bad. So th this is actually the one issue where he's even been able to fake being a populist because, again, the activist base of the Democrats is so insane about this issue. Uh -huh. uh, he's voted for every mass amnesty. Uh, in, a couple of years ago, during one of Trump's State of the Union addresses, you know, each congressman gets to invite a guest. He actually, his invited guest was an illegal immigrant who was about to be deported. So he really has 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 criticized and fought every opportunity um, that he's had. He's fought the idea that we should enforce our border laws, and I think that's an incredible opportunity for us in the campaign. But again, the people in Ohio, we actually believe we should have a border, and we recognize that when Tim Ryan throws open the southern border. A lot of our citizens die of fentanyl overdose, and a lot of our kids get orphaned. Uh, we got to stop that. And again, it's another reason why I think Tim is not going to do well in November. But this is another one that connects with the the theme throughout the the segment is just you know media and media being manipulated to make sure we're not talking about the most important stuff that's going on. Is the fentanyl that's coming over our border is killing Americans, particularly in states like Ohio? And so long as we keep the border open, we are sending a clear signal that we don't take that seriously. And this should be a there are many other issues out there uh, in this race. There's the Biden inflation. There is uh, the energy issues. There is the a lot of the pocketbook issues we have. But shouldn't this be so fundamental that if we have an open border with drugs streaming over it and the drugs are getting everywhere, uh, anyone who see, does not see clearly that we need to enforce our border laws right away with a robust effort, not go around and add tens of thousands of new IRS agents to try to extract more money from taxpayers, uh, then they've completely lost the plot. Yeah, we have. And I think a lot of a lot of the far left has convinced themselves that Americans don't deserve compassion and American children don't have dreams because you hear a lot about compassion for other people and you hear a lot about the dreams of other children, but you don't hear these people talk about, you know, voters in the heartland, voters in, in, in a suburb or a rural area of Ohio, and the fact that their lives are being destroyed by the poison that's coming across the southern border. And I, I 
I really think that it's, it's one of the most deranged things that's happened to American politics in the last 20 years is that a certain segment of far left Democrats have decided their own countrymen don't deserve compassion. And I think that's why they don't talk about it as much. That's why the media doesn't cover it as much. But it's why it's so important for us to continue to talk about it and, and, and to fight over this stuff, because if, if, if we're not standing up uh, for, for, for those people in Ohio or anywhere else in the country, then nobody else is. Uh, J.D., I got to ask about your take. I know I think I know what it is, but I got to I want to hear it from you. Give me your thoughts on the it's totally not a debt transfer. It's definitely a student loan forgiveness that uh, Joe Biden put out. Well, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's economically illiterate. If it's a, if it's a if it's a cancellation or a forgiveness, well, who, who's paying for it? Right. That ten thousand dollars a person has to come from somewhere. And we know it's coming from middle class Ohioans. I mean, there's just no no doubt about it. Um, and, and look, I'll say this again, Alex. This is a bailout for the university system that is bloated administratively, that has way too many people making hundreds of thousands of dollars without doing anything useful, without educating children. And you've got to fix the fundamentals of that system. This just delays that reckoning, which is maybe the dumbest. The dumbest thing of all is that it doesn't force us to deal with skyrocketing tuition, with the fact that our universities aren't really educating kids for the future. They're doing much more indoctrination. And let's fix you're not you're not actually doing anything useful. J.D. Vance, you can go to jdvance.com for his campaign website and at J.D. Vance one on Twitter, and he's on many other social media platforms as well. J.D., really appreciate it. And come back whenever you'd like. Thanks, Alex. Take care. issues on the show most often is probably Senator Marsha Blackburn. She recently went to Taiwan, which is an important thing to do, and is someone who is looking for creative ways to fight the CCP, both on a geopolitical and diplomatic basis, but also in terms of what we do here in the United States and how we behave to protect ourselves from the vulnerabilities that the CCP would like uh, to impose upon us. So we touch on that, plus some more news in the interview. Here it is. Senator, you took a trip to Taiwan, which is very important. I'm glad you did it. And uh, I wish you got more fanfare. We played it up quite a bit at Breitbart. Uh, why did you go there and what did you see when you were there? Yes, I went there because as we look at the Pacific Island nations and as we push against the Chinese Communist Party and their move to global dominance, that is their goal. What we have to do is stand with our partners and our allies, not only in the region, but globally. And it is important that we send the message that we are going to support Taiwan, just like we're going to support Papua New Guinea or Solomon Islands or any of those. Also, it is important that we recognize that we, the United States, are the partner of choice for Taiwan. And they want to do business with us. Right now, their largest trading partner is China. Uh, certainly. So it feels like they the this is a 
place where if China was in a stronger position, I think we'd be in much more fear that they would try to make a move on Taiwan the way they did on Hong Kong. Um, but China does seem to be suffering a lot economically. It seems like they still have a fair bit of coronavirus. And it, we don't get the full sense of how badly things are going for China right now. But it, it seems like their economy is going through pretty devastating moment. And I, I, I'm curious if this is going to have a bigger effect on the world stage, because it seems like a lot of major nations are struggling right now. Uh, I'm just curious if you'd given this some thought and uh, what you think the truth is about China's economy right now. And so many people are asking that same question. It does appear that they have some struggles. And one of the things that was not lost on me on this trip, as I visited with leaders and with our teams in these different countries, they would talk about how the things that China goes into countries and builds, they're of poor quality. China takes their own workers uh, into these countries to build these projects. And you know what? They, the people of these countries resent that because it is the Chinese doing this with their workers, not working with local people, not giving them the jobs. So there's a resentment to that. There's also a concern um, from people in these countries who look at this inferior quality or, you know, maybe law enforcement equipment that doesn't work. And they're saying, hey, wait a minute. We would rather be getting something from the United States that's actually going to work or actually going to so while China is trying to practice this Belt and Road Initiative, this debt diplomacy, what they're also doing is convincing people that what they have is not the superior quality that if you're purchasing things from the United States, that's what you're going to get. Yeah, interesting. And it feels like that there's a lot of um, jobs coming back to the U.S. now, which is a good thing. And I think part of it is because supply chain issues are a, a much bigger factor in American businesses. It's not like there's been some brilliant policy from the Biden administration, but it just feels like a lot of businesses realize how vulnerable we were during the coronavirus. And we're still seeing supply chain uh, shortages. Uh, I had to get some uh, electronics for my house vendor because I just moved. I moved a little over a year ago and I couldn't get anything last year. And like some of the stuff I can get now. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm like shocked when I go to the store and I say, can I get this? And they say, yes, I'm used to hearing, no, you cannot get this because that's what I got for a whole year. And it feels like Americans are making some adjustments, but we're just way too vulnerable. Just too many things that we need. And one thing that I'm concerned about pretty deeply is uh, is is food. And here in the United States, we're kind of a, a lousy with food. We're kind of a, people are eating too much, overabundant. But there are parts of the world right now where I'm pretty nervous about due to some of these supply chain issues, due to the storing energy costs worldwide, not just here in the United States, that we could be looking at something that um, it could be some real increased food vulnerability worldwide, which could ripple throughout the planet. And is this is one that it's not getting a lot of attention. Is this on your radar at all right now? Oh, yes, it's on my radar. And in Tennessee, as I have visited 
with farmers here in Tennessee. They have pointed out that they have planted less this year because fertilizer, farm chemicals, pesticides are so expensive. They're 300% more than they were last year. And so they're producing less. And they will tell you that means there is going to be less product on the shelves, whether it is soy or beans or corn or whatever the product is. There will be less because right now what you've got on the shelves is last year's crop. And they're very concerned about what this is going to do because it's the price of a barrel of oil that has driven up that cost of diesel and fertilizer and pesticides and so many things. It's costing more to get that product to the shelves. It Once they get it out of the ground and it gets processed, it is costing more to wrap it because the oil derivatives are what give you the wrappings and the plastics and the things that contain those food items. It's costing more to get the cans. And I was talking with a food processor in Tennessee, Bush Beans, and we were discussing this very issue of supply and what it costs to get those cans and the lids and the wrapping and all that the product goes into. Yeah, this is exactly right. And any detail that you just mentioned gets interrupted in the supply chain for whatever reason. Maybe it's not even that stuff is stuck in a container ship outside of San Pedro like we watch for months and months and months. And by the way, it's still going on to a certain degree. Uh, Maybe it is just the one part of the supply chain, their business got upended because energy costs are too high or there's something they couldn't get. Uh, it, that at an affordable rate, and then all of a sudden you're scrambling in an increasingly globalized world to replace that that person, that vendor, that manufacturer, whatever it is. Uh, it, it just un, uh, it's infinitely complicated, and that's why one of the ways to protect ourselves is continue to onshore jobs back here, bring stuff here, and make stuff in America. But that's just, that, that's just me preaching a little bit, Senator. Um, I want to talk to you about a couple yeah. other. Uh, topics. I want to talk about the FBI. Um, have you seen anything in this affidavit that was released heavily redacted? Have you seen any details from uh, the Department of Justice or the FBI to indicate there's anything legitimate about this raid on President Trump's house? Uh, no. And when you when you look at it, it appears that this is a discussion over documents. And to the Tennesseans that are calling our office, they're really frustrated that there continues to appear to be two tiers of justice, one for the one for the insiders, one for everybody else. And if they had been discussing this with President Trump and his team, if he had said, whatever you need, you can have, why did they not set up another meeting and say, here are some specifics we need this, 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 and this, and um, move forward in that manner. And the thing that really concerns people is if they can do this to President Trump, they could end up doing it to them. They cannot understand why Hunter Biden and Hillary Clinton haven't had the same type of treatment. Uh, Hillary, with her server and her 30,000 emails and 
the exposure that was there, her staff members, their devices, uh, documents on their computers, and why that would be treated differently from paper documents that President Trump had um, that they felt like were classified and they needed to have those documents. There should be a, a consistent approach on this, and the inconsistency is what is of tremendous concern to Tennesseans. That's what it feels like. It feels like there's something inconsistent here that the president, the former president, could have declassified anything that he's got. And we don't know if he did or not. His lawyers are saying he did declassify stuff that he needed to. And it is at this point, it's just a pure Rorschach test. Everyone who hates Trump just sees it as, of course, these are highly classified, super risky documents. He shouldn't have had them. Why did he have them? And then the rest of us, mostly people in this audience are going, well, first of all, he, he has every right to those documents so long as, you know, he declassified them, which he can do with the snap of a finger. And what is in there that was not important to the current administration for 18 months, but now is really important now, two and a half months out from an election, it doesn't pass the smell test. And that's where we are. And then we're going to talk about this every day for hours on end, instead of talking about, you know, the open border and the stifled economy and red China and all that stuff. And it just feels like we're all falling for a trap here. Um, but we still have to keep the audience surprised of it, Senator, because what if this is the one where they finally got him and he's going to get indicted? There's going to be criminal proceedings. Uh, what do you think their goal is? Have you seen what do you think the goal is of the FBI and the DOJ right now? I, I don't know. I think it's just so disappointing when you look to the DOJ and the FBI to be even handed and for justice to be blind for there to be equal access, equal treatment. And people are quite unnerved by this as to where they're trying to go with this. Um, I don't know what they're going to say is their goal, their outcome, and how they think they're going to get there. I'm just not, I don't think anybody really knows. We do know what we do know is that they don't like Donald Trump, that they have continued to go after him since he came down the escalator uh, to announce his campaign. They have not changed on that. They feel as if he was there shaking up the bureaucracy in D.C., which he did. They don't like that. And this is the, the swamp biting back at him. My hope is that we will get some more clarity from DOJ as to why they made this decision, that they will say, have some specifics as to what they were trying to do and trying to accomplish, and that we can return to a posture where the American people feel that they can trust the FBI and DOJ to be even-handed. So what's the process to restore that trust? I, when, when we talk about getting back to trust, it is going to require DOJ and FBI to make 
for uh, explanations of what they're doing and why they're doing and where there has been fault to admit that, they're, that they made a mistake. People are not perfect. Institutions are not perfect. But if we're going to learn from this, when they've made a mistake, they need to admit that they made a, a mistake. They need to answer some of these questions. Why did they mold this over for weeks on end before they decided to do this? Why did they then decide that this was of national importance and they needed to carry out a raid instead of calling his lawyers and setting up a meeting? Uh, what would cause them to have that kind of change of process when they have been in the process of, an, of negotiations? Who in the FBI, and there are a lot of great people that work in the FBI, who in the FBI decided that Hillary Clinton's missteps with her computer were not uh, something that needed to be dealt with. Who decided that Sandy Berger could get off with his wrist being slept after he went to the National Archives to get the Clinton mm. documents? Uh, so it is that inequality that is unnerving to people. So, uh, Senator, I want to ask you about something that you did, which is important, is that uh, you put out an amendment uh, that would ban China from exploiting the USDA farm programs to purchase American farmland. Uh, this seems like one that uh, at least 100% of Americans would agree this is a good idea, uh, but it was blocked by Democrats completely. Yes, uh, which was astounding that they would agree to allow the Chinese Communist Party to continue to get grants from the U.S. Department of Agriculture for farmland, for production, for uh, environmental issues. This is land that the Chinese Communist Party is buying in whole or part they are producing food on this land. They are shipping this food to China. They are taking up part of our agriculture quotas as they do this, and they're using taxpayer dollars. One would think that every Democrat would stand with me on this, but what we saw is that they have chosen not to. Uh, it's just so strange to me that it, it, why is it? Is it just because you, a Republican, a conservative Republican, push for it? I mean, what could be the rationale or, or is it even worse than that? Is it that there's they do see it as they have a personal interest uh, in China being able to buy up this land? Uh, I, I think that the Biden administration has been so soft on China that what you have is the Democrats are voting in lockstep with Joe Biden. It is very seldom that they get out of line. And they are soft on China. They probably don't want to admit that they are allowing the Chinese Communist Party to come in and do business here. They're finally beginning to make some changes in how Chinese companies operate 
with our stock exchange. So I, I think that they're just so lax and so trusting of the Chinese Communist Party that they don't want to admit they have made this terrible mistake. And, you know, always you have to say, does the fact that Biden incorporated via James and Hunter Biden have been so entangled with the Chinese Communist Party that they don't want to hold them to account? Thanks, Senator. Blackburn.senate.gov for all the news at Marsha Blackburn on Twitter as well. Thanks, Senator. Really appreciate it. I got American parts. I got American faith in America's heart. That's today's show. Thanks to Nico and producers Greg Eben for putting it together. Robert Marlowe helps me pick topics. And all of you who went to mysonhunter.com. And those of you who picked up copy breaking the news, telling people about anything we do at Breitbart, leaving five-star reviews, comments, shares, all of that really helps us quite a bit. So uh, if you are so inclined, continue to share, share away. It means a lot. We'll talk to you tomorrow. And I won't apologize.